From Steel Valley Media, this is the Frosty Podcast. Welcome to the Frosty Podcast. This is the episode you've all been waiting for, our mock draft special. Charlie Thurber's back here with me. Charlie, how you doing? Doing great, Tony. Doing great. Glad to be back on. Yeah, this is exciting times here. And uh, we, just uh, as a reminder, you can find us on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, on Podbean, and you can also find us on Twitter at FrostyPod. Make sure you keep your eyes glued to that Twitter account this week. I'm sure we're going to have some other draft content coming up as the date crawls closer and closer and more and more rumors keep coming out because uh, we're, we're within a week now. It's, uh, it's prime time. There's going to be a lot of good stuff coming out. There's going to be a lot of smoke screens coming out, and you're going to have to be able to wade through both of them. And uh, we've already had to deal with a decent amount of that already. We, we sure have. Um, our, our whole effort through this time has just been to get away from the group think, group think and look at this through the eyes of, of evaluators um, within the organization. So I think we've done a great job of that, and I'm excited to get this information out for everybody. I think so, and I, and I think that's going to be the really interesting part this year is with this virtual format. I know, obviously, uh, we didn't make it to Vegas uh, for our Frosty Live tour, and uh, neither did the draft because the pandemic is still going on. Turns out our Sean Oakman comparison was a little off base. This thing still seems to have some teeth, but the silver line to that is we did find Sean Oakman. We did. Um, he, he is still playing. Um, and, and how could he not be? I mean, that guy should not be walking into, you know, JP Morgan or something somewhere, um, and working a normal job. You know, he was, he was most recently in the XFL, um, with the LA Wildcats and, uh, you know, obviously the XFL is, uh, struggling a little bit here and, and looking like they folded. So hopefully he gets an opportunity. We'd all love to see that guy just, uh, getting off the bus on an NFL level. Yeah. So I guess, I guess was still playing is the, is the word at this Correct. point. Correct. <laughs> one thing I'll Rest say too, Tony, is, yeah, one thing I'll say too is, is this draft, um, I think is going to have a level of interest that we've never seen before. Um, just with, just given the nature of, of everyone, you know, staying home and, and social distancing, um, listen, like I'm, I'm more fired up than I ever have been. Um, it's always, it's always been a huge event for, I'm sure both of us as huge fans of, of the draft and, and just nerding out on, you know, GM mindsets and, uh, where players will land. Um, but it's going to be cool to see a very high level of interest through the nation this year. Yeah, 100% true. And you've already seen a couple high-level analysts come out and mention that this week. I know Rappaport mentioned something about it. I've seen a note from Schefter and how uh, GMs out there are pretty much saying that all the draft analysts, your mock drafts are wronger than they have ever been this year. Uh, because, you know, with this virtual format, everybody being in quarantine, um, nobody's really been able to go out to any pro days. Those have all gotten canceled. And that's where a lot of these uh, these scouts, these team personnel members from other teams uh, end up, you know, exchanging nuggets of information. That's where the draft analysts get to talk to some of the scouts and stuff like that. Right now, uh, they're not getting the inside information that they normally do. And some of the inside information out there that they're getting, you kind of have to wonder if the teams are floating it to them on purpose to, to get a narrative out there. So it's, it's very likely this year, you know, we've all looked at a lot of different mock drafts from all the draft analysts from CBS sports and the draft network and bleacher report. All of them could be completely wrong because all these rankings could be completely upside down from what NFL teams are actually thinking. 
100% agreed. Um, I think, you know, and we'll get into this later, but um, there hasn't been an emphasis on just the actual tape um, and what a player can do on the football field alone, um, you know, in years since since this information age of, of spark scores and, um, you know, actual measured miles per hour while sprinting and um, have really taken it into full effect. So, and that's been, that's been a while now. It's been decades um, that people, you know, have run a certain 40 time or bench repped a certain amount at the combine. And that's literally elevated them into top 50 status. And we might see a little more of, listen, like we're going to trust the tape on this guy and know that his game speed um, or his ability in the game to get to the, get to the quarterback as a pass rusher um, is enough to let him be a member of our organization. Yes, absolutely. Um, we're about to launch into this now. And uh, just to so you guys know, Charlie and I have been putting this together for uh, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of it went together this week. But we've been talking through this for a couple weeks now. And this is very well researchers. Uh, so many rumors out there. We've been dissecting each of them to try and figure out which ones we think are true, which ones we think are bullshit. And uh, I, th- I think we have a pretty good read on where a lot of these teams are thinking right now. So uh, consider this like getting the answers to the test before the test actually comes out on Thursday. So uh, there's a lot of a lot of draft prop odds out there. If, if you got a uh, online gambling account, uh, you might be able to make yourself some money. Definitely. There's been there have been I don't know how many proofs to this mock, Tony, but we've been we've been working on it for a while. And just um, the thoroughness to go through the tape of at every position, each of us and uh, give our own eval um, and then think about where that player could fit in. And um, Tony um, actually did a awesome research onto all the first round trade ups um, since 2015. So for the past five years, um, just to kind of hash through some of those rumors see if there's smoke screens or not and see who's a real threat to actually trade up in the draft. So I think we have a really unparalleled structure. I haven't seen um, a mock quite like ours. Um, and I feel really good about, um, you know, getting this from the eyes of, of an NFL GM. So excited to get rolling. Yep. Completely with you on that. So without further ado, let's launch into this. Just as a heads up, we do have trades built into this. So uh, we, we did we waive that requirement that is usually out there in a lot of mock drafts because we want to make this as realistic as possible. And we think there's some uh, really good areas up there where teams are going to be looking to make moves to secure certain players. Uh, that is not the case here at number one, though. I, I don't think there's going to be any surprise on this one. With the first pick in the NFL draft, the Cincinnati Bengals take Joe Burrow, quarterback, LSU. Charlie, what do you got on this one? Um, just, just an obvious pick. I think, I think for a while, um, you know, there was some smoke around the Bengals trade not a number one, and that, you know, Zach Taylor like Justin Herbert at the Senior Bowl, but they can't not take Joe Burrow. Uh, we haven't seen a quarterback this advanced in in a long, long time. Um, just, just a master at the college level. His his historic season, I mean, basically solidified that number one spot and. Um, you know, just we've talked about it in our past podcast, the way he processes the game at this age um, is just at another level. And he steps right into to an offense that's going to air it out. Um, you know, it's it's a hybrid of that L.A. Rams, Sean McVay offense as, as Zach Taylor takes that into Cincinnati and they have weapons. So if they can get him some protection, I mean, he's going to walk right in as a as a high level player. Um, with a winning mentality with A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross, and Joe Mixon. And that's going to be exciting to watch. 
Um, Got to take Burrow here with the first pick. Absolutely. You could sit around and nitpick on his arm strength a little bit, but uh, really with his ability to process the game and his decision-making capabilities, it, I don't think it matters much at all. He throws a great deep ball, even if it doesn't have the have the, the requisite arm strength on some of the 60, 70-yard bombs, but he can just carve defenses up as his last season here was a testament to 76% completion percentage, 60 passing touchdowns. He was a shoe in for the Heisman trophy national champion. He's a winner. He's a leader. And it's a great choice for the Bengals here. And I think, I think he could really breathe life into that offense in Cincinnati, as you mentioned pretty quickly there. So I, I think this is a no brainer pick. No brainer. Can't wait to see it. And uh, my wife is a diehard Bengals fan and, uh, she certainly needs something to look forward to. So we're excited to we're excited to see Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. As a fellow AFC North fan in Cleveland, I'm hoping they don't get too excited there in Cincinnati this year. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to number two with another pick that I think we'd probably describe as a no-brainer. The Washington Redskins take Chase Young, defensive end, Ohio State University. Charlie, what do you got on this one? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, Chase Young just was dominant. I think PFF rated him as the highest rated uh, defensive season in college football history since in the PFF era. Um, and, and their ratings are pretty spot on. I think it was a 96 rating just over Nick Bosa. Um, but when you look at this guy, you know, we always say it, he looks like the predator. Um, he's an absolute animal, um, you know, six, five or six, six, two sixty five. Um, with burst that is that is uncanny for someone who's that that big Um, so you know definitely I think Ron Rivera when you look at the identity he's going to want to he's going to want to build there in Washington it all starts with the defense um, just like it did in Carolina and you know we we tried to sift through some of the rumors there I think before we saw um, Tua maybe you know having some some health questions People were, were floating the two to Washington. They were floating maybe the Isaiah Simmons to Washington. But Ron Rivera wants to get this pick right. Um, he's also a Maryland kid, just like Dwayne Haskins was last year. It makes perfect sense that he ends up in Washington um, and, and a very high-level um, pass rusher for the next decade. Yeah, you, you can sit around and nitpick at some things with his game, but that would really be all it is is nitpicking. This guy can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to on the football field. And he did that in the Big Ten this past season. Uh, 30 and a half sacks throughout his career, 16 and a half as a senior uh, or as a redshirt junior, but uh, worth mentioning there that um, didn't play in a couple games there because of uh, NCAA violations. So um, he's, he's a no-brainer here. He's cut from the same mold as the Bosa brothers. Uh, you could probably sit here and try to rank those three but I'm probably not going to waste any time there they're all kind of in the same category and I would expect Chase Young to come in there in Washington and probably turn that into one of the better defensive lines in the game with the other first round picks they've had so yeah uh, easy easy pick here Ron Rivera gets his guy and the Redskins get a pass rusher to chase after Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott in that division for the next 10 years. Yeah, when you when you look at that defensive front on on paper, uh, last year's first round pick Montez Sweat across from Chase Young is pretty scary. Um, the athleticism on both sides. I don't know how you can how you can really double up on on one of them. Um, and then you have Ryan Kerrigan, who's been a stalwart there for years, um, with Jonathan Allen in the middle. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely making it a strength and, uh, making it a long-term strength. So definitely, uh, 
making some noise there in D.C. That's a little of their mindset there, too, because the team that just represented the NFC in the Super Bowl last year, the San Francisco mm-hmm. 49ers, were built from the defensive line and uh, just really dominated the line of scrimmage. So kind of see them replicating that a bit. Moving Definitely. on to number three, we have a trade. The Miami Dolphins trading up to number three for the Detroit Lions position. They give up pick five and pick 26. As a reminder, the Dolphins came into this with three first-round picks. This takes them down to two. Uh, but I think this is a move that they have to make to secure their guy quarterback because with the amount of draft ammo they came into this draft with, they can't afford to come out of this draft without their quarterback, not just a quarterback. It needs to be their quarterback, the guy they have ranked the highest. And in this instance, this is Justin Herbert, quarterback, Oregon. Yeah, Justin Herbert, um, just an excellent profile for a long-term franchise quarterback. I think when you look at what what the Miami Dolphins are doing here, um, everything they've done has been to build this thing from the ground up. Um, and this is this is the main deciding factor when you look at a guy like Justin Herbert. You look at a guy who hasn't even scratched the surface of his potential. He's 6'6", 236. Um, he was in the 90, basically the 92nd percentile athletically um, when you consider his height, weight, running a 4'6", 40 with a, almost a 36-inch vertical. Um, he, you know, there are definitely some things to pick apart there with the way he processes the game. He's not on the level of, of Joe Burrow or to attack of Iloa at this point. Um, but that does, that's not saying he isn't capable of that. He has an absolute cannon for an arm. Um, you know, Tony and I have both likened him to um, some similarities to Josh Allen, but way more advanced at this point. I think, you know, as long as he gets into the right system in Miami, um, you're looking at a guy who really can turn into that franchise quarterback and lead them for um, a 10-year period or longer. Yeah, the ball coming out of his hand, as we mentioned before, is just a, a thing of beauty. It's exactly how you how you picture it coming from an NFL quarterback. He's a he's the prototype. Um, you can obviously pick apart some some pieces in his game, but some of that just comes from being in that Oregon offense where. You know, the, the reads really aren't what they're going to be in, in the NFL system. So he's got some growing to do. He struggles under pressure from time to time. But I, I think that's something that uh, with the ability to kind of sit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick for uh, a portion of the season, maybe a full season, uh, kind of get his legs underneath him. I think this is a good place for him to go here. The, the obvious conundrum at this pick was uh, between Justin Herbert and between Tua because uh, – the fans in Miami have been all about tank for for the, the last year, year and a half. Um, I think this decision just comes down to the fact, uh, do you trust Tua's medicals? Uh, you know, we're going to – he's definitely going to be going in the first round here. We'll be talking about him more in depth. But it's kind of less question marks with Justin Herbert there. And I think, I think with the athletic tools that he has, it's just too hard to pass up. And there's there's been rumors about Dolphins uh, really liking Herbert last year, hoping that he was going to come out. He ended up going back for his senior year. So if if that was all smoke, then that would be one hell of a smokescreen for two straight years. Uh, seems like this is the guy that they really had their eyes on. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, excited to see what they do do because like you said the fan base um has been has been calling for Tua the tank for Tua uh, um you know movement here for for well over a year 
Um, but I do think the medicals um, kind of scare them away. And, you know, like I said, they're, they're not in a position to necessarily go for it all now um, as a team who might be more akin to, to going for two. It would be they want the longevity. They want someone they know is going to last. Um, you know, he's built for the long haul. They're trying to build a dynasty there in Miami. And uh, we're excited to see, excuse me, how it goes. Yeah, your best available, your best is availability, as they say in the NFL. So that stays true to that. Moving exactly. on to pick number four, the New York Giants on the clock. And I'm sure we all could get a nice laugh from picturing in our heads Dave Gettleman trying to draft in his basement with Zoom. Uh, having to rely on the computer folk, as he says, to get these draft picks in this year. So that is a delicious piece of irony for this draft. So in this, I, I think there's there's been some talks of them potentially looking to move back. That is not Gettleman's M.O., especially in the first round. I don't see it happening. I don't see him breaking character here because I think the player he has his eye on is – one of those guys that he views as too good of a talent to, to pass up on. Um, and I think in this case, that's Isaiah Simmons, linebacker, linebacker safety, depending on what, what position you want to put him at from Clemson. Charlie, I know this is, this is your guy. Yes, this is, this is my uh, best player available in the draft right here. I just think um, when you consider the athleticism, the versatility, the football IQ, uh, we haven't seen a prospect like Isaiah Simmons. Um, I, I can't remember one. The, obviously, the the athleticism is out of this world. Um, you know, to be 6'4", 238, run a 4'3", and have a 40-inch vertical as a linebacker is just crazy. When you watch this guy on film, the tape matches up. He, he can line up at corner, um, and he can literally stay with wide receiver number ones um, during the college football playoff, no problem. He's, he's more athletic than they are. Um, he can rush the passer. Um, he'll, he can be an asset against the run. I, I, you know, he's going to have to improve his anticipatory skills uh, in the gaps a little bit. Um, but you know, with what you're working with here, um, you know, his intangibles, that shouldn't be a problem. I think when you talk about Gettleman, um, you go back to his pick of Saquon Barkley uh, two years ago. And, you know, running back was not necessarily the logical pick. Um, his direct quote was, listen, um, you know, if I have a pick in the top five, I'm trying to get a guy who can wear a gold jacket. No excuses. Position doesn't matter. And I think the same thing applies here. I think Isaiah Simmons is the guy with the best chance of wearing a gold jacket in this draft. Um, and I'm excited to see. Um, how he fits in New York because I, I just can't see him not can't see him making it past number four um, and and uh, just a fun player to watch here and uh, you know we've we've raved about the athleticism but um, really could change the dynamic of New York and its identity. Yeah, great player with uh, massive athleticism, massive potential. Um, I, I like the pick here, but I'm not sure I love the fit in New York. I, my concern is that they're just going to plug him in as a, a traditional middle linebacker, um, which I think he'd be pretty solid at, but I don't think you're fully maximizing him there. Um, mm -hmm. I'm 
questioning a little bit what that defense is going to look like in New York this year. Because this this is the type of guy you want to use as weapon X, right? Like you you yeah. want in that division, you want him to be able to lock down Miles Sanders out of the backfield. You want him to be able to come up, fill a gap, and stuff Ezekiel Elliott in the hole and possibly, you know, line up there and, and, and take some tight ends out of the equation. Line up against Zachers. Uh, line up against uh, on occasions Amari Cooper if you have to. Um, I don't think he's just a guy you just sit and plug in the middle of your defense. So I'm hoping that they have a way to maximize him. And I think, it, as you mentioned, this this guy could be a potential gold jacket guy if you use him the right way. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, obviously it's like a great pick for the Giants here. But this uh, this pick should should be an offensive tackle <laughs> to protect their quarterback. But uh, Gettleman does not does not always make the, the pick that makes the most sense there. Um, you know, Simmons, yeah. abs- absolute great talent. It's, it's easy to see why he'd fall in love with him here. But at the end of the day, if they don't protect Daniel Jones, um, he's going to accumulate all these gold jacket guys and no wins to go with them. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll interject here briefly as a, as a diehard Panthers fan, you know, uh, Dave Gettleman was our GM for, for a long time. And, uh, you know, he did enough to to have us go to the Super Bowl under his watch and, and five playoffs um, in a row. But um, I will say that he will not take an offensive lineman in the first round. Um, and, you know, he's pretty good at scouting him out afterwards when you look at the Trey Turners of the world, um, Daryl Williams of the world, guys like that. Um, but listen, this is this is a huge need. They just took their franchise quarterback last year. They took their franchise running back the year before that. Neither of them have room to work in the in the offensive backfield. Um, neither of them can really, you know, Daniel Jones is, doesn't have the time to get the ball down the field, and Saquon doesn't have room to work. And um, I agree that that's the bigger need. I think, you know, trading back here should be more more aggressively entertained. Um, you know, for them to add an offensive tackle because it's a deep class and um, a defensive weapon would be the ideal thing. But good time for us to note that, Hey, like this isn't necessarily what we would do. We're trying to get in the, get inside of the minds of these GMs and, um, and predict, um, our best, what we think will happen. So, um, you know, this is definitely too big of a a dangling carrot for Gettleman to pass up in both of our opinions. Yeah. At the end of the day, you, uh, you can't change Gettleman and he's going (laughs) to do what he does. (laughs) Yep. Moving on to pick five, as a reminder, the the Miami Dolphins traded up from five to three with the Detroit Lions, so the Lions find themselves in this slot. I know this has been a heavy projection for corner, but uh, Charlie and I went a different direction with this one. We went Derek Brown, defensive tackle from Auburn, 6'5", 326 pounds. Uh, what was the rationale for us going defensive tackle here when everybody out there is saying corner? Yeah, definitely. So um, first and foremost, the Lions need to re rebuild an identity on their whole defensive um, their whole defensive group, and it starts up front. Derek Brown is, you know, one of two, um, and I think we'll agree on this. Elite, you know, interior defensive line prospects. I think both of us, Tony and I, both have have issues with his ability to get to the quarterback, um, but he he's a complete prospect with good hands, a high competitive motor. Um, and, and he's definitely a force. He's, he's, he eats up space. Um, he's what you look for, 
um, in the middle of your defensive front. But, you know, there's value to be had at the cornerback position. Um, and, and I think when you look at what Matt Patricia is going to want to do, um, they're going to want to identify some strength um, to build around up, up that defensive front. Yeah, I completely agree. They, they need to stop the run there. And I think if you just look at the at the way this draft is formatted, where you have two really good defensive tackle prospects in Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw, and then it really drops off, whereas the corners – I think there's also a big two with Okuda and with uh, Henderson, but I think the depth at the position is a little better. So especially when you just picked up another first round pick and you have an early second round pick, I think you can get an impact corner there where you're not going to be able to do the same thing as at the defensive line position. This is just not a draft where D line is real heavy like it has been in the past. So I could see them falling in love with Derek Brown here with his ability to, to clog up space shed uh, interior linemen pretty quickly and make plays in the backfield. He's got a really good motor. I think, I think his uh, probably needs to pack on a little more muscle. I know we've seen some pictures of him and his arms are like spaghetti strings right now, but it hasn't seemed to matter too much playing in the sec. He's still dominated doing what he does. And I think this is probably a good fit for, for Detroit here. Cause they, they badly need to stop the run in that division with teams that, uh, really want to run the ball. Minnesota, Green Bay started running mm. the ball more consistently last year. And I think Chicago really, once they get their offense where it needs to be with their uh, with their new quarterback, Nick Foles, I think would like to run the ball more consistently as well. So exactly. I think this, this pick makes a ton of sense for them there. Exactly. You can't leave your corners on an island. You know, you can have the best corners in the world, but if you don't have any pressure up front, uh, you know, the quarterback's going to have all day to throw. And there's there's – no corner in the world who can shadow a receiver for, you know, seven seconds or something. So um, completely agree with this pick, and uh, and I like our line of thinking on it. Yep, yep. All right, pick six, the Los Angeles Chargers on the board here. They likely would have been involved with the Dolphins there, trying to trade up to number three with Detroit to get their quarterback. Um, I, they just don't have enough ammo to get it done. The amount that Miami came to the table with, if, if they want their guy, they're going to get their guy. So the Chargers end up stuck at six here. I think they're still making a quarterback selection here. We have Tua Tungavailoa, quarterback, Alabama. Charlie, what? Yeah. This, uh, this has been this has been mocked to be Herbert quite a bit. There's been a lot of noise out there that Herbert is the guy they want. Uh, whether he's the guy they want or not, he's not the guy they get here. But what do you think goes into the thought process of taking Tua here and not waiting on a quarterback later? I think it goes hand in hand with uh, what we mentioned about the Dolphins, how they're trying to build something sustained for the long haul. I don't necessarily think the Chargers aren't trying to do that. I just think their roster is built to win right now. Um, they have a defense that's at its peak, arguably, um, with the recent addition of Chris Harris. You know, you got Casey Hayward, Derwin James, Joey Bosa, uh, Melvin Ingram, all these guys. The defense is, is pretty darn close to great, if not elite. Um, the offense, you have weapons everywhere. Um, you have Eckler, you have Hunter Henry, you have Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, etc. Um, a guy like Tua, who we love as a prospect, um, could step right in and take this team to the playoffs, no doubt in my mind, as long as he can stay healthy. Um, but take the health out of it. When you talk about just these these GMs and these organizations are going to sit down and watch the tape on these guys to his tape is just, is it's exceptional. The guy is a cannon. Um, his accuracy is incredible. 
Um, I know a lot of people will say, well, you know, he had five first round receivers and Alabama roster and, and that's fine. Um, it, it's just the way it's obvious. He processes the game at a high level. Um, he recognizes things pre-snap and he gets the ball on point post-snap. So I think he'd be a perfect fit here for Tom Telesco. And um, when Telesco mentioned what he's looking for in a quarterback the other day, it was quick decision-making, accuracy, uh, leadership, things that Tua you know, is all about and could definitely provide from day one. Yeah, this quarterback decision is uh, all the way around. Just the prospects in, in here, the whole discussion changes completely if Tua is healthy. And if he doesn't have the injury rap sheet that he has, we've mentioned before on, on past podcasts that the line between Burrow and Tua really isn't that big. But with the injuries that Tua is coming back from, you know, fractured pelvic bone, that's, that's something that's not very typical, and that's something that's going to take some time. And um, as we've mentioned before, his a lot of these injuries have come apart just on his own. They're self-inflicted. He's extending plays when he shouldn't extend plays. He's got a great offensive line in front of him in Bama. He kind of has to get rid of some of those um some of those moments where he tries to extend plays when he shouldn't and he just needs to learn when to throw it away and learn when to go down uh, and not try to be a hero and play for the next snap. But his, his talent is just too much to pass up for the chargers here. Even if they came into this draft, hoping that Herbert was going to be their guy to have somebody like Tua drop into your laps is just uh, too much of a chance to pass up on. And at the end of the day, as you mentioned, uh, their roster is pretty solid top to bottom offensively, defensively, they're rebuilding the offensive line a little bit, you know, taking, taking a risk on somebody with the injury history like this would be a, a tough pill to swallow for a lot of teams, but I think the chargers are built in a way that they can absorb it. They need to need to sell tickets out there in Los Angeles. Once, once fans are coming back to games and they, uh, they, they need they need a quarterback that can step in and, and play the way Lynn wants to. They you know they want to run the ball a lot. They want to do a lot of play action. Two is perfect for that. Um, I, I think at this point it's just the talent's too much to pass up on. I don't I can't see anybody trading up for him at the in the draft because of his injury rap sheet. But if he drops to somebody like this, uh, it's going to be hard to not turn the card in for him. Completely agreed. Moving on to pick seven, your Carolina Panthers and sitting in this spot for a second. We have a trade. Uh, we mentioned that the the card that the Panthers uh, would probably be looking to move back a bit because they're in the middle of a rebuild uh, with new coach Matt Rule coming on. So in this instance, they have multiple suitors for this for the spot end up dealing it to the Denver Broncos. The Broncos are coming up. They're looking for receiver. They're looking for speed. They're looking to give Drew Locke, their new quarterback, some weapons. And they find a blisteringly fast one here in Henry Ruggs, wide receiver, Alabama. Yep. Um, Henry Ruggs is just, you know, one of our favorite players in this draft. Um, and so many people compare him to Tyreek Hill, but that's that's honestly the easy thing to do. Um, when you look at Henry Ruggs, obviously the 4-2 speed stands out, um, but but his body strength is is incredibly underrated. This guy can make contested catches. He can high point the ball. Um, you know he doesn't go down on first contact often. And the thing that that separates him from the guys like John Ross and Tavon Austin and guys who people will fear with an early pick of a receiver like this are that um, 
he has a, an exceptional feel. Um, he has an exceptional um, instinct um, and on when and how to turn on the gas pedal and, and weave through traffic um, and get to the end zone or get to the get to the pylon for the first down. Um, I think John Elway will do anything and everything in his power to get Henry Ruggs on that roster. Um, Drew Locke is an immense talent. He's got crazy arm strength, and uh, they have a chance to really unlock that if they can spell um, – Henry Ruggs with with Cortland Sutton, that would be the perfect compliment. Yeah, I think this is a weapon that's just too good to pass up for that offense because I think this is a, a skill set that really just unlocks that entire offense, as you mentioned, with, with Sutton across from him, who's a little more of a bigger jump ball type receiver. Um, and they also have Noah Fant working in the middle of the field, tight end drafted last year. I think this is a perfect fit for them, especially with Drew Locke's arm strength. You know, as as you mentioned, Ruggs, not just a speedster, but he can also – he's a physical guy. He'll get in the blocking game a little bit. He, he's got some run-after-the-catch ability. He's solid route runner. He's been my number one receiver on the board just because I think the ceiling for him is just so high, and I think this is a good place for him to go because I think Drew Locke will really be able to use a player like that, and that's going to a good system in Denver, a good culture. I think it's a good place for him to be able to grow. Definitely, and you look back at our bold calls, Tony, you were the first one to say, listen, like when we started doing our wide receiver breakdown, this is going to be the first receiver off the board, and uh, this goes along with that. I I think it's pretty clear that if, if, if Elway can get into the top 10, he will, and we all know who he's after. Yeah, it just goes with the trends right now. You just watch the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl with Tyreek Hill, a 4-2 guy playing out there. And you've seen in past years how teams uh, will draft receivers that have a lot of speed uh, a little earlier than you'd expect them to, even if, if, if the football skills aren't there with them. You think of John Ross, you think of Tavon Austin. Uh, you know, speed kills in this league, and people tend to overdraft it. But in this case, I don't think this is an overdraft. I think Ruggs is just that good, and I think he's very deserving of that seventh overall pick. So moving on to pick number eight, the Arizona Cardinals on the board here with every offensive tackle available, uh, with Javon Kinlaw available, with corners available, and with two other receivers but in this instance, they're they're getting a lot of traffic on the phones, and I think they deal this pick. Tampa Bay Buccaneers moving up. Just got Tom Brady. They desperately need a big-time left tackle to protect him, and we gave him a good one from the SEC, Andrew Thomas, left tackle from Georgia. Yes, this is this is a no-brainer. If Bruce, There's a Bruce Arians connection, obviously, with the Arizona Cardinal organization. Um, everything, you know, they love each other. There's nothing that's changed there. He gave his all to this organization here in Phoenix. Um, when you look at what the Buccaneers want and need to do, and you look at what the Cardinals need to do, um, this is a perfect fit. The Buccaneers need to come out of this, this draft with one thing, most importantly, and that's, that's an offensive tackle who can process the game uh, with the greatest quarterback in NFL history. Um, and, and that really separates Thomas from the other tackles in this class. When you look at Andrew Thomas, um, his ceiling might not be as high as a Becton or a worse, um, but he has on tape um, just an incredible resume of, of processing the game at the high level, successfully pass blocking, successfully run blocking at Georgia uh, for three years um, in a pro scheme offense for a quarterback who isn't that mobile um, and Jake Fromm. And it's a perfect fit. I think I think uh, 
Bruce Arians will sell the house to do whatever it takes to get Andrew Thomas on his roster. And I think he knows he has to hop over a few tackle needy teams to do that. Um, and then when you look at the Cardinals trading back, um, they only have two picks in the first three rounds. And they're a team with a lot of needs, a lot of needs on both, <clears throat> excuse me, both lines, offensive and defensive line, um, some holes at linebacker and et cetera. So I think they will jump at the opportunity to add a, add a pick in the second round also from the Bucks, and uh, both teams end up happy. That's great insight there. The Cardinals have been very vocal about looking to move back, and I think this gives them a, a good opportunity to do that. And I, I really think the Bucks are going to be desperate to move up to take a player of Thomas's caliber. You know, all the concerns with Andrew Thomas are legitimately just nitpicking, in my opinion. You know, he's he's got 41 starts in the SEC, very battle tested, more battle tested than any other tackle at the top of this class. You know, he's he's the worst athlete of the. Four, which is really not saying too much because he's still got a, a spark score in the 60 per, 60th percentile, meaning he's still above average athlete for, for an offensive tackle in the NFL. He's only 21 years old. You watch him play, and um, he's, he's just got excellent play strength. He gets a little top-heavy at, at times and lunges a bit, but it's, it's really not something that happens often. I think he's a guy playing in the SEC, playing against, uh, big time edge rushers week in week out is something that you know he's not gonna a guy that's gonna get beat on the same move twice by a guy he's extremely physical good run blocker uh it, there's a couple moments on film where he, he's got these big mitts for hands and he just swats undersized uh defensive ends right by um I think this is a great pick here. And I think he's the guy who is probably ready to come in and play right away the fastest of those top four tackles, which um, when you pick up Tom Brady, that's definitely something you're looking to win right now. And especially in an offseason where you're not going to get uh, not really going to get any mini camps, any OTAs, you're going to need a guy to come into training camp and be able to contribute right away. So, I think this is a really, really good pick to protect their new their new quarterback that they have come in, uh, enable them to win some games. Exactly right. I think I think what Brady needs is, and I think one of the main reasons he left New England was listen, like he was caught developing receivers, developing linemen every year on his own, and and kind of waiting for them to figure it out. And you know, I think that's one of the reasons he picked Tampa. You know, you have a coach who processes the game at a high level, who's a brilliant offensive mind in Bruce Arians. Um, and you have you have wide receivers who are just truly elite. And, you know, to add to that, I think Andrew Thomas would just be a perfect fit. And uh, I think they'd be really excited to have him come step in from day one. Completely agree. So moving on to number nine, the Jacksonville Jaguars on the clock. I think their phone rings a decent amount here for a trade up, but uh, sitting here with both top corners on the board, the ability to replace Jalen Ramsey here with another first round pick is just too good to pass up on. And they take CJ Henderson corner from Florida. Charlie, this has been your guy throughout the entire process, even though the group think out there is saying Jeff Okuda is the top guy. You know, what leads them to take Henderson here over Okuda? Yeah, this is an awesome pick. I, I think this really makes our mock, mock stand out and, you know, from the second I started evaluating defensive backs, um, you know, my, my kind of niche was the the receivers and the D-backs. And, you know, Henderson, you know, I saw him twofold. I saw him against Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. I saw him against George Pickens for Georgia and Debo Samuel for South Carolina. And I, I really didn't know 
who he was too too much. You know, I'd seen him pick off a pass in the in the Peach Bowl, and you know, I remembered his name, but this guy just really jumps off the screen um, as a man covering corner, which is exactly um, what the Jags need here. Um, when you look through their depth chart, that's clearly the biggest hole. Um, there's a huge uh, pathway from Florida Gators onto that that Jacksonville defense. When you look at Dante Fowler, Taven Bryan, um, and now C.J. Henderson, um, but just the ball skills, the man-to-man coverage. I mean, the guy's a freakish athlete running a 4.39 with a 38-inch vert. Um, and and I, I think you know when you look at his tape, especially against Jamar Chase, especially against George Pickens and Debo Samuel. I mean, he's stride for stride with these guys. Um, making plays on the making plays on the ball, um, he's able to stay stay in great position and attack downhill um, on and keep everything in front of him. If a catch is made on say a square out or a square in, but really it's hard to get behind him. And I think that that goes very well in today's NFL, as you mentioned, with teams like the Chiefs who can really get deep. Uh, C.J. Henderson's the guy in this class you'll want on that speed receiver. Yeah, Jacksonville loves their Florida guys, and they get a good one here. I think. Uh, you know, the discussion between him and Okuda, I think you're going to end up with a good corner regardless of where you go. But Henderson's man coverage abilities here, I think, are enough to swing the vote here. And I, I, I've heard a lot of noise with Henderson to the Jags going so far. I think there's a lot of truth to that one. So I think this is a good pick for them here. I do, too. I, I do. I do know, you know, being being in the Panther circles that they're they're strongly looking at Henderson at seven. Um, so, you know, I think, I think, you know, people will be surprised or listeners will be surprised to hear that name come, come off the board between seven and 12. Agreed. Expect some, some big surprises for sure coming up in this yep. draft in a couple of days here. Uh, number 10, a team that is near and dear to my heart, the Cleveland Browns sit here needing a tackle big time. There's three of the top four sitting on the board here, and they are also looking to move back pretty aggressively. But I think the talent that drops to them here is just too hard, too good for them to pass up on. Uh, we have them taking Makai Becton, left tackle from Louisville. Uh, what can you tell us about Makai Becton, Charlie? Well, this guy is the biggest uh, freakishly athletic lineman we've seen in a long time. Um, 6'7", 369, um, and somehow maintains smooth, clean feet. Um, obviously has reach, um, but you know his strongest trait is just the power at the point of attack. Um, you know He's a little bit raw, being an ACC guy in, in Louisville. You know, he certainly saw some talent, um, but you know the ceiling is, is not even close to being reached. When you look at pure potential, I mean, it's out of the roof with a guy like Becton. Um, and a guy this big running a 5-140, um, you know, I think his spark score was, you know, in the 99th percentile. And uh, just just would be an excellent pick here if he falls to 10 for the Browns. Um, you know, they're really trying to unlock Baker, unlock that passing game, and to add him and Jack Conklin on the as the anchors of that line would be absolutely huge. Yeah, there's going to be a big decision here if it plays out this way between Becton here and Tristan Wirfs. And Wirfs, I think, is a perfect fit for what they want to do offensively. But just looking at Andrew Barry, the new GM, and the tree he comes from, they put a heavy, heavy emphasis on elite athleticism. Uh, you're getting great athletes with both Wirfs and Becton, but you're not getting the 6'7", 360-pound size with Wirfs. And also the ability 
ability for Becton to step right in at left tackle, where Worf played right tackle. And it's something that seems trivial, but it's enough of a change where if you're stuck between two guys, it might be something that swings your boat there. Uh, Becton is the best run blocking tackle in this draft. He's an absolute beast getting after people in that in the run game. The Browns want to run the ball a lot. He's a little bit raw in true pass sets because Louisville didn't do a lot of true pass sets there. They're a heavy run and play action team. Um, but I think, you know, that that game game plan fits a lot of what the Browns are looking to do as well. And I think the, the ceiling for Becton is just monstrous. As I've mentioned to you, there's going to be a couple uh, front office personnel that are going to look at him and see Jonathan Ogden in his size and athleticism. So obviously Ogden is a gold jacket guy. So that is a heavy, heavy comparison there that a lot of things have to go right for. But I think with just the potential they have there and some of the other work that they've done in the offensive line already, I think he'd be a great fit there and somebody who could uh, maybe eventually uh, blossom into their best offensive lineman. Certainly, it would be excited to see him uh, reach his potential, and I think, I think you're right on line with with where Cleveland's line of thinking would be, um, getting him over to left tackle, and uh, you know, seeing if they can't get a gold jacket on him in 20 years. Hey there, Frosty Podcast fans. Derek Frost here. Hopefully, you are all staying safe in lockdown right now. We have a special announcement from the Frosty Podcast. In addition to the Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Podbean, as Tony told you at the top of the show, you can now catch the Frosty Podcast on Spotify. That's right. Give us a follow on Spotify to catch the latest episodes. More to come soon. We move on to pick 11. The New York Jets, another team that is offensive tackle needy here. It's a need to protect Sam Darnold. He's taking a beating back there um, with the talent that's available. Well, here, I think it's a no-brainer. Even though they may have some needs of receiver, they need pass rushers, they need a lot of things, but I don't think any are more glaring than they're needed at offensive tackle. So they take Tristan Wirfs' offensive tackle from Iowa. Uh, and we just mentioned that the, the Browns would be heavily in on him as well. Um, no, what, what can you tell us about Tristan Wirfs? Tristan Wirfs, uh, when you look at the tape, I, it's it's exceptional. I mean, first first and foremost, um, before we get into his athleticism, he it's clear on tape that he's a plug and play guy, at the next level. The question is, and you you went, mentioned this um, in the last pick, is is he a right tackle or a left tackle? Um, he's played pretty exclusively right tackle, um, and you could probably set him right there right now and let him be an above average tackle with the with the potential to be great. I think most of these teams looking at him in the top 15 will want him to move to left tackle um, just because it's tremendous ceiling. So it seems that he processes a game at a very high level. Um, it just his functional athleticism is crazy. Um, it's clear he has a high high football IQ. But really, when you get into this, um, this guy's 6'5", 320 and ran a 4'8", 40 uh, with a 37 inch vertical, which is which is just ridiculous. I mean, he's he's putting up, you know linebacker numbers at, at the size of an offensive tackle. So I think, I think to get him at 11 is an absolute steal. Um, I think, you know, in this instance, they'll be tempted by, you know, a few of the receivers as well as Okuda, but they can't pass up on protecting their franchise quarterback. Yeah, Worfs is my favorite lineman in this club. I've been really high on him from the beginning, just on his athleticism. Uh, there's, there's some teams that are looking at him and are thinking that they may need to move him to guard because of his height. He's a little under 6'5", 
about six, four and a half. Uh, not a lot of tackles have, uh, you know, really reached elite status in the NFL at that height. But I think his overall athleticism and his uh, you know, just mental makeup will allow him to get by a right tackle or left tackle. Um, he's the first true freshman offensive tackle to start in the Kirk Ferentz era at Iowa. And that's saying something with the amount of offensive linemen that this school churns out on a year to year basis and good NFL offensive linemen. It's not like they get to the NFL and they end up uh, not being real great there. They end up being really good there as well. So that's, that's really saying something to me. He's got a wrestling background. I think this is a no brainer pick for, uh, for the jets here to get their guy to, to protect Arnold for the next several years. Moving on to pick number 12, the, Newly minted Las Vegas Raiders are on the clock here. We think that they will probably be looking to move up, probably eye in that Arizona spot, maybe that Carolina spot, seven or eight. But in this instance, I think they get boxed out. Just as I don't think they're willing to give up the amount of picks it would take to get up there, uh, especially if they if they get the sense that the Broncos, who they'd be competing for, were going after a different receiver than they were. I think that's the case here. We have them going with Jerry Judy, wide receiver from Alabama. So they go with the other Alabama receiver. This one, pretty different from Henry Ruggs. I know this is your favorite receiver, Charlie. What can you tell us about Jerry? Definitely my favorite receiver. Um, And like you said, uh, Ruggs is tailor-made for the spot open in Denver. Uh, Judy's tailor-made to be a wide receiver one in John Gruden's office. He's just a tactician. Um, When you watch his tape, and I highly recommend everyone does, it's just incredible. His route tree is is so sophisticated. I mean, it's reminiscent of of a Stephon Diggs-type player right now. Um, He's extremely sudden, um, and he's a very smooth athlete. Um, and he has top end speed. I mean, you can see him get le- get open at all three levels of the field against some of the best competition in the nation. Um, it's clear that he has football IQ. He's able to process an elite pro offense right now. Um, and he has elite run after the catch ability. I think you're getting an all in one wide receiver one here at 12, which is exactly what Oakland needs. Um, and I, I'd, I'd be excited to see him in black and silver. Um, do it's notable to mention um, his spark spark score was only a 21 percentile, which is super low. I think Tony said, you know, you know, we may have one or two um, receivers in, in recent five years who have really succeeded with such a low spark score. But important to note, he ran a four four forty with a 35 inch vertical. That's pretty darn good. Um, and in a year where tape is is really valued, I think. There's no player in this draft whose tape really jumps off the charts like Jerry Judy's tape as a receiver. Um, you know, we've comped him to Stephon Diggs, who actually had a similar spark score, also ran a 4-4-40 with a 35-inch vertical, and he's doing just fine. So huge win here for the Raiders, and uh, yes, my favorite receiver in the draft. Yeah, the spark score he came up with is really the only blemish you can find on this guy because across the board, he's just an elite receiver in every category. And kind of surprising that his, his score ended up being that low. It makes me wonder if there was a, an injury that was uh, nagging him or something at the time. But I don't know, when you when you put together a 4-4-5-40, it kind of seems like you're going at full strength. But Judy is a great fit for what Gruden wants to do there. They need a, a top-line receiver like him. Uh, there's just been a lot of noise that C.D. Lamb is the top receiver on the Raiders board. If you remember last year, you know, the Raiders sent home all of their scouts a couple weeks early because they were so concerned about leaks getting out of the building. Um, 
Mike Mayock, the GM, former NFL Network uh, draft guru. He knows how to play the media game. Essentially, if there's news out there about who the who the Raiders want, it's because Mayock wants it out. So in this instance, I don't think Lamb's their guy. I think Judy's their guy. I think he fits what Gruden wants to do, and I think it makes a lot of sense here for him. So with pick 13 now, the NFC champion San Francisco 49ers are on the clock. And I think John Lynch knocks over a bunch of stuff on his desk trying to get to the send button in time uh, to quickly get this pick in. Jeff Okuda, cornerback Ohio State, he somehow drops this this far to pick 13 with his abilities. Uh, Charlie, how ecstatic would they be if they were able to make this pick? The rich get richer here. Um, this would be an incredible victory. I, I don't know. Um, they have met with Okuda, but I don't know that they would. I certainly don't think they would expect him to fall this far. Um, but he would He would just fill a huge need across from Richard Sherman in that defense. Um, you know, this guy has extremely smooth feet, fluid and quick hips. Um, his tape is exceptional. Um, I think the one thing about Akuda is is he is seemingly susceptible to to getting beat deep by you know extremely athletic receivers with a little more foot speed than him. But with San Francisco's pass rush with their scheme, um, he can be where he excels in those first ten yards where he's just locked down. He wins the first ten yards, you know, nine and a half times out of ten. And John Lynch and company would definitely sprint to the virtual Zoom podium for this pick. Um, and lock in, you know, what would be just an incredible defense for the next five to seven years. Yeah, this would be completely scary if the Niners were able to pull this off and, and put Jeff Okuda in there with Richard Sherman, have two big corners in that division facing uh, DK Metcalf and uh, Tyler Lockett, you know, the, and all those receivers that Arizona started to accumulate now. DeAndre Hopkins, you know, that would be uh, a great way to counter that. They'd be ecstatic in San Francisco if they can add this to that to an already extremely tough defense. So, exactly. staying in, so staying in the same division here, Arizona Cardinals who traded a pick with uh, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay moved up to pick eight to take Andrew Thomas. So the Cardinals dropped down here to pick 14. Also needing an offensive lineman, also needing a defensive lineman. you got two good ones on the board there, one at each position. But I think they are just going to have a hard time laying off the receiver talent that has dropped to them here. C.D. Lamb, wide receiver, Oklahoma, plays in a similar offense in, in Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley that Cliff is using there in uh, in Arizona, even though they get DeAndre Hopkins, I don't think they can pass up the opportunity to add C.D. Lamb to that as well. What are your thoughts on this one? Definitely. I think it's a win-win situation. I think Lamb's in play at eight. I think, um, you know, when you look at the draft pundits, um, we need to, um, as high-level fans, throw all conventional wisdom to the side. I don't think Cliff in this regime it really values the offensive line. I don't think it's fair to just throw a tackle in there um, because it's clear they had a bad offensive line. I think they're going at this thing completely differently. Um, I think, you know, they want to make, they want to make a strength, um, you know, a stranglehold strength here and add CD lamb to a understudy Deandre Hopkins and Larry Fitzgerald and, and really just have probably the best receiving core in the league. Um, when you talk about Christian Kirk, Hakeem Butler and Andy Isabella too, for this air raid offense, I don't think it's going to be like anything we've ever seen before. 
yeah, this is Kingsbury's game here, right? They're going to put up a ton of points. They're probably going to give up a ton of points, especially in a division like that with the Niners, Rams, and Seahawks. Um, but they're going to be exciting, specifically from a fantasy standpoint. If you're a fantasy football player out there, I think you got to be anxious to get your hands on some Arizona Cardinals this year. I, th- I think not taking an offensive tackle here may come back to bite them in the long run, but C.D. Lamb is definitely going to put up some points for them there. Um, it's just too hard for Cliff to pass up on a talent like that to add a little more explosion to that offense. So moving on to the next pick, pick 15, your boys, the Carolina Panthers, back on the clock now after trading down. And I think they have a guy dropping to them that they would have seriously considered if they were still at, at number seven, Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle, South Carolina. How would you feel about this one? Well, I'd be absolutely thrilled to add picks and end up with a guy I'd be happy with an eight. I think you and I both have Javon Kinlaw as the number one defensive tackle in this draft class. Um, he is just a true disruptor, which is what we both look for with those interior defensive linemen. Can they get to the quarterback? The answer is yes. This guy's an absolute freak. Um, his explosion through the lines, incredible. Um, he has, he, he has a pretty good repertoire of pass moves, but there's a lot to, to be developed there. Um, just intangibly, the guy's huge, you know, six, five, three fifteen, with, with rare burst and athleticism, um, side to side quickness. I think, you know, we both saw, especially in that Alabama team, that the Alabama versus South Carolina tape, the guy's an absolute game wrecker. And, uh, you know, I would be thrilled to have Javon Kinlaw in black and blue. Yeah, Kinlaw's a top five player for me, and I think this is an absolute steal for Carolina to be able to get him at pick 15 here. because I, I think he's a guy that can anchor your defensive line for years and years. He's versatile. He can play inside. You can move him outside from time to time. As, as I mentioned in, in our defensive podcast, um, I, his high, high-level comp would be J.J. Watt for me. I think he's got that type of upside to him. He's, he's very raw where he is right now, but he has elite athleticism for the position. He's very good with his hands. He's strong. He's still trying to figure a lot of it out, but even so, you can plug him in there week one. He's going to raise some havoc for you. So um, really, really good pick for the Panthers here. And a pick that is really going to make the team coming up here next at pick 16, extremely angry. Atlanta Falcons, you know, even, even worse than those, those nasty jerseys that they just put out. They've been, they've been trying and trying and trying to trade up initially, we believe, for Isaiah Simmons. But with him not dropping past four, that never really had a chance. But we could see them being on the phone with – uh, Carolina, who obviously was not going to trade with them being in the division, and then Arizona after that trying to get up to to get their hands on Kinlaw and then just striking out every step of the way after that because no, none of these teams really want to move out with, with the type of players that are dropping to them. So they end up locked out of the Javon Kinlaw uh, sweepstakes and end up going corner instead. We have them going A.J. Terrell, cornerback uh, Clemson, a guy who had has really taken some heat uh, from some draft analysts on social media for having a, a little bit of a rough national championship game, but a really, really good corner with good size and good physicality. What can you tell us about him, Charlie? Yeah, A.J. Terrell is an elite athlete um, who, like you said, he has taken some heat from that national championship game against LSU. Um, but really, that's the only blemish. I don't think anyone truly successfully uh, held Jamar Chase and company down um, below a certain point 
point this year. So it's hard to really hold that against him. Um, but when you look at AJ Terrell, um, great size, six one, um, extremely fluid athlete and with great feet. Um, and I think, you know, when you talk about Dan Quinn, what he's looked for in corners in Seattle and now in Atlanta are the long rangey corners, um, the, the six foot and over guys. And he's certainly that, but he also runs a four, four, two. Um, and so he's got elite level athleticism, the ability to come in there in the NFC South, and he's going to have to, he's going to be thrown right into the fire, you know, them losing true font, um, you know, I think he's going to be in there against Michael Thomas. He's going to be in, out there against, you know, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and DJ Moore. And, um, you know, he's he's the type of athlete that you can throw a dart on. And there's a chance that he can turn into a true cornerback one. He comes from a winning tradition. I think Dan Quinn um, <clears throat> will really like that. And uh, kind of plugging that long corner into his defense will be important. I do think you hit the nail on the head. I think they're after Kim. Law and, and C.J. Henderson, and they've got to be ticked, but they just don't have the capital to move up and get either of those guys. Yeah, it's just it's a hard spot for them because there's so, so many good players falling. There's going to be teams that just don't want to move out of the spots, and I think the Falcons are going to end up you know, out, outside the circle without a chair at that point, but I think they still get a very good player here in A.J. Terrell and a guy that they're going to get multiple looks at. Um you know, being a Mercedes-Benz Stadium with the amount of times that Clemson plays there, it seems like every big game is is happening at that stadium. So they've got plenty of chances to scout this guy. As you mentioned, the national championship game, you can't ding him too much going up against Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is uh, making a lot of DBs look bad, and especially with the types of throws that Burrow was making. Some of those passes are just unguardable. I think this is a, a good corner for them. Really fits what Quinn looks for with the size and athleticism out there. And a I think uh, he's, he's going to need to be battle-tested pretty quickly in that division with uh, with Brady coming to town and with Breeze coming to town. But I think it's a good pick for him there. Next up, pick 17, and we have a trade here. and Not the type of trades we had before where it's just picks for picks. Dallas Cowboys sitting here on the clock, and we have some listeners that are avid Dallas Cowboy fans. I think they're going to like the way this one turns out for them. The New York Jets trade safety Jamal Adams to the, to the Cowboys. This has been rumored for quite some time going back to the trade deadline last year. In this instance, uh, the Cowboys give up a first, a third, and a 2021 second round pick to get Jamal Adams, who would immediately take ownership of that secondary out there in Dallas and would be the type of uh, alpha leader that that defense needs and a great safety to boot. Um it's easy to see why they've been looking to add him and sitting there at pick 17, probably better than any safety uh, that you would be taking in that spot. So uh, I know we both really like the trade. And then on the jet side, uh, you know, they don't seem to be very interested in paying Jamal Adams at all. So I think they're, this is definitely something they look to do. They need pass rush help badly. And I think they take, Caleb on chase on defensive end from LSU, a guy that uh, neither of us really seem to be as high on as a lot of the draft analysts out there. Yeah. Um, you know, chase on, there's no doubt the guy's a freakish athlete. Um, I think what we get wary is we look at the Leonard Floyd's, um, the Barkevius Mingos, the guys who have come out of that mold before, um, and, and it's kind of what you t touched on with Isaiah Simmons. Can they be put into a situation? Can they be put into a role um, where they can thrive? And, um, you know, between the lack of developing a, a, a full repertoire of pass rush moves, 
um, and techniques. Um, you know, all these guys, Chase on included, have dominated the college level just just off of sheer athleticism, and that's not going to happen in the NFL. Um, but I do think Chase on is is you know extremely explosive. Um, if he can add a, a little bit more to his repertoire, going into that Dallas defense um, could be a good spot for him to succeed. Um, and I certainly think you know they have their eye on him as one of the top three players, or excuse me, the New York the New York defense um, could be a role for him to succeed. And they certainly have their eye on him as somebody who can kind of reinvigorate um, that that pass rush that that's just been non-existent there, um, you know, in Rutherford, New Jersey, for the past few years. Yeah, defensive coordinator Greg Williams is going to love this guy. Um, definitely has the skill set that he'd be looking for. Chason needs to get himself into an NFL weight room and get stronger. We have him listed here at 6'3", 254 from the combine, but that is definitely putting on some weight for his combine. Uh, there's no way he played at that weight at LSU. He's probably upper 230s. He's playing definitely a leaner player. Gives you kind of shades of Barkevious Mingo when you look at him. Um, he's got to be able to use his speed to his advantage coming into the next level. And some of the things that, that worry me a bit, um, I don't know if you, if you watched the tape with him going again, going up against Andrew Thomas from Georgia, the, the left tackle that we had going to the bucks at uh, at pick eight, but Thomas pretty much just completely wiped him out of that game. He was a complete non-factor and that's the type of tackles he's going to be facing in the NFL. So, He's not going to be able to just run around these guys. He's going to need to develop some change-ups to it. That's something Mingo was never able to do coming into the NFL, and uh, got to hope that Chason will be able to do that. But I think this is definitely the way the Jets will be leaning in this instance. Staying in the same division now, uh, Miami Dolphins with their second first-round pick, now da- only down to two from three with the, with the trade-up that they made for Herbert. But they're sitting here at 18, and a top 10 talent drops to them. And this is an easy decision for them for a team that needs an offensive tackle after dealing away Laramie Tunsil last year. They get Jedrick Wills, offensive lineman, Alabama, dropping to them. Uh, a guy that they would not expect to have made it this far, and when they do, it's an easy pick for them. Definitely. They, they've got to be absolutely thrilled to – to control the draft is their goal, and they did. They went up and they got their quarterback, um, and now they're they're landing um, with a bookend offensive tackle in Jedrick Wills. I think um, people have him as rate, rated as high as four on their big boards, but he's also slipped a little bit um, in the pundits' eyes just to um, questions for processing the game. Will he have to slip inside the guard? Uh, you and I, neither of us think this. We've both – had him as high as one um, as as overall offensive tackle on our big boards at different points in this offseason. And, you know, I think I think he's a day one starter. Um, he's obviously able to process the game at the high level coming from the pro scheme in Alabama. Um, he wouldn't have been relied upon there. Um, but, you know, he's got the prototypical size. He tested well at the combine. And, um, you know, I think he's a bookend offensive tackle for the next eight years. Yeah, a lot of the things people are dinging him for is the fact that he's only ever played right tackle. He's never played on the left side. Whether or not he can play it or not, I don't think it's something that he would struggle with uh, with moving. And he's also a little bit shorter. He shares the 6'4 height with, with Tristan Wirfs. But at the end of the day, this is a nasty, nasty offensive lineman who will get after you in the run game, has very good feet in pass protection. I don't think he's going to struggle adjusting to the NFL game, especially uh, coming from that Alabama program. And I, I think this is an instance where you think you see over and over year after year, 
teams. Um, the Alabama linemen just kind of get boring for some of these guys because they're they're so highly ranked from the beginning and they tend to get overanalyzed. And at the end of the day, they were still one of the best linemen to begin with. So kind of happened to Jonah Williams last year who ended up dropping to the Bengals. And I, th- I think it could happen again uh, for Wills here and dropping to the Dolphins, but they end up getting a really good one. And they come out of that first round with two top 10 talents and Justin Herbert and Jedrick Wills. Uh, you got to think, got to feel really good about where that team is headed. Moving on to pick 19, the Las Vegas Raiders find themselves on here again. Uh, and I looking at, at safeties here, looking at corners, and I think they are going to go with a very cerebral safety, a guy who, if he was a little bit taller, would be a probably top 10 pick in this draft. If Antoine Winfield Jr., safety from Minnesota. Absolutely love this pick, Tony. Um you definitely spearheaded us on this one. And, you know, this is a guy who's really stood out on tape. You and I, even before the combine, were like, man, this this Winfield kid, you know, his instincts, he just literally knows where the ball's going before it goes there. Um, anticipatory. Obviously, the bloodlines, his dad was a stud defensive back for, you know, a decade or so. And, you know, when he came out and tested at the combine and ran a 4.45 with a 36-inch vertical, that, that probably did elevate him, you know, into the first round. I like, I like the bullish call here because Mayock and Gruden, they want true football players. They want guys who process the game at the high level that they can come depend upon. And to think about Winfield playing center field next to Jonathan Abram, um, that's a nasty, nasty group if you're building the defense from the middle out. Yeah, he's a great fit next to Abram, who they drafted last year in the first round. Um, I think that could be a really good safety tandem for a lot of years there. Uh, Mayock and Gruden are going to love the the, uh, NFL bloodlines there with Winfield. He knows what to expect coming in with his dad being a a defensive back in the NFL for a lot of years. And he's he's just a really, really good instinctual safety there to add. And a guy who's going to create a lot of problems for quarterbacks down the line. And the last pick in the top 20, the Jacksonville Jaguars find themselves on the clock again. Uh, And again, they keep the pick here, even though there's going to be some teams starting to call them, trying to move up. But I think with the wide receiver talent drops them here, the Jags have a lot of needs. But the ability to to take Justin Jefferson, wide receiver from LSU here, is just too good to pass up. Yeah, Jefferson's just an elite talent. Um, I think – you know, he's he's so shifty, so excellent in, in in small spaces across the middle of the field underneath at the college level. He was he was Joe Burrow's safety valve there at LSU. Um, I don't know that any of us expected him to come out and be, you know, six, two and a half and run a four, four, 40 with a 38 inch vertical. I mean, he just tested off the charts. He's got size. He can play inside. He can play outside. Um, and this year um, and we, we were talking about this. Um, through the week as we were projecting this mock it's all about seeing if Gardner Minshew can sink or swim um, down there in Jacksonville so to give him to give him a weapon like Jefferson who can kind of be his safety valve across from DJ Chark who's who's an emerging deep threat um, if you can't thrive with those two as your wide receiver course it's definitely going to be time to move on completely agree and I think it's just about getting weapons for Minshew to find out what you really have in him and if you end up not having enough weapons for him then uh you know next year if you find yourself in position to get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields 
then you have a fully stocked group ready to go there and really ready to uh, put it, put together some offensive fireworks. And I, with the Philadelphia Eagles, I think this is a team that would have really been looking at Justin Jefferson had he dropped there. Uh, so they, they come up with the, the issue of whether they force a pick at receiver here or whether they go a different direction. They have a lot of needs on defense. Uh, we have them going Kenneth Murray, linebacker from Oklahoma here. A pick that makes a lot of sense for a defense that needs a, a leader in the middle of that defense with Malcolm Jenkins, the safety, uh, leaving town. Uh, needs a good linebacker. Needs a lot of speed there. This is a pick that the fans are not going to like in Philly. I can guarantee it because they want a receiver badly, but uh, we think it makes a lot of sense for them. What do you think, Curtis? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense, too. I mean, there's there's plenty of depth um, in this receiver class. I mean, there's starting receivers that are going to be taken in round four and even maybe round five. Um, so when you talk about losing Malcolm Jenkins and kind of that high football IQ, um, I think they need to replace that with leadership and the potential to kind of expand into that defensive leader role. So um, really like the pick here. Yeah, they haven't used a high pick on a linebacker in a long, long time. It really wasn't the philosophy of uh, Andy Reid and Joe Banner before Howie Roseman, and he hasn't really done it too much on his side either. So uh, this would be breaking character for them a bit, but I think the talent is worth it here to uh, get a guy with the speed that Murray has and with the uh, instincts that Murray has. I think he'd be a good fit there in a, in a division with – you're going to, going to make you cover a little bit. So you're going to have to have that ability with your linebackers. And as you mentioned, there's still the ability to get a good receiver here in round two. Moving on to pick 22, the Minnesota Vikings on the clock, and we have a trade. The Indianapolis Colts coming up from the beginning of the second round to secure their quarterback of the future. Jordan Love, quarterback, Utah State. Uh, Charlie, what led us to making this decision? Um, I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, Jordan Love is is exactly what the Colts need. They need an understudy to Phillip Rivers, who has a year, maybe two. Um, Jordan Love is, is, is a player with a very high ceiling um, and could step into a role um, a la Pat Mahomes a few years ago where, you know, you learn from a savvy vet, you learn under a great offensive mind like Frank Reich, and you step into a pretty darn solid offense and offensive system for a guy like that to thrive. So, um, you know, with players like Love, um, it's hit or miss. You know, if they if they end up in a bad offensive system, um, they may never flourish. But Indianapolis would be a perfect landing spot to see him kind of put that arm talent to the test. Yeah, there's building noise. The Patriots are very interested in Love at 23. So this kind of gives the Colts a spot that they absolutely have to get up ahead of and, and unless the Patriots are going to trade up themselves. I think waiting here for New England side ends up hurting them. And the Colts end up jumping up. Uh, the Colts have no quarterbacks under contract for 2021. So it's very believable they're going to be looking for their quarterback of the future in this draft. And with the amount of ammunition they've stockpiled over the years, that gives them the ability to make this move up without having to sacrifice a first next year. Uh, I think it's a no-brainer for them. You get Jordan Love sitting behind Phillip Rivers for a year. Um, I think that's a good situation to come into, and they're going to have some good weapons and good protection for him in Indianapolis as well. So they get their guy. Frank Wright gets his guy. Moving on to pick 23, the Patriots, who lose out on Jordan Love here, end up making a more obscure pick, uh, which might shock some, some people listening out there because – 
you know, everybody's watching the same mock drafts here, but uh, the Patriots don't tend to follow the mock drafts. They don't tend to follow the group think. They look for guys that fit very specific roles. And in this instance, we have them taking Bryson Hopkins, tight end from Purdue, 6'6", 244 with a 4'6", Good athlete on the perimeter. Charlie, what can you tell us about this pick? Yeah, Hopkins really burst onto the scene over the past two years down at Purdue in Jeff Brome's offense. Um, Definitely fits the mold on on a Patriots tight end. Um, Not only reliable, but definitely, like you mentioned, has the size and the speed to really be a threat against linebackers and safeties and challenge them um, physically. So I think when you talk about fitting a new quarterback into that system, whether it's Stidham, um, if it's Jordan Love, um, if if you were to fall to them, but in this case it's Stidham, um, that tight end role has been non-existent um, last year without Gronk. Um, and so I think for Hopkins to step in, he would honestly be um, competing for, you know, target two status right off the bat. Um, he'd be a red zone uh, weapon right off the bat. And, you know, he's a guy who with that athleticism, he's barely scratching his potential um, to get into an offense like like Josh McDaniel's offense. I think he could really thrive. Yeah, he's a guy that really gives you the ability to mix and match your matchups a little bit, uh, really take advantage of his size and his athleticism in space. And as you mentioned, you got to get that new young quarterback, Stidham, some weapons there, which is uh, really going to irk Tom Brady a little bit to see him leave town. And now all of a sudden the Patriots are starting to invest uh, draft capital capital into some weapons for the quarterback there. But I think that's probably the route they're going to end up going. So they make a surprise pick with Hopkins at 23. At 24, the New Orleans Saints, another team that could conceivably be in the Jordan Love sweepstakes if he somehow drops to them. But with him not making it there, we think they got to go corner. They've really been spurned by bad cornerback play in the playoffs the last two years. It's cost them their their ability at, this, at getting to the Super Bowl. So I think they end up going with the top corner on their board here and they end up going with Jeff Gladney corner from TCU what do you think of this one yeah Jeff Gladney is is just an excellent prospect uh, when you look at his measurables he's he's actually extremely similar to to Jeff Okuda um, a high 4-4 guy um, great vertical jump his tape really jumps off the screen Tony as you mentioned you know being the big 12 and the pass heavy um, pass heavy offenses he's stuck out against. I mean, you really have to stick out when you're, when the other team's airing it out 50, 60 times a game and, uh, you're still shutting down the receiver on the other end. So I think Gladney could really stick out in new Orleans. Um, they need someone to spell Marshawn Lattimore as that cornerback too, on the other side, you know, he's sticky, he's got quick oily hips and, um, you know, we really considered Patrick queen, Christian Fulton here, um, kind of hometown prospects but Gladney was the only one who had visited with the Saints and really had serious consideration there and uh, I think they're really after him here in the late round one yeah he's a tough physical guy and I think he'd really fit across from Lattimore in that defense Um, playing in the big 12 as you mentioned you know you get a lot of good pass reps in there because you're you're covering 60 to 70 percent of the time Um, and, and I've seen him described by some as a poor man's Jeff Okuda you know, he's, he's definitely got some of that physicality to his game. I think he plays the game with a little more swagger than Okuda. Probably not quite as technically sound, but still a first-round prospect in his own right. I think this is a good pick for the Saints and a need that they badly need to fill there. Staying in the same conference there, the Minnesota Vikings uh, with their first pick 
of, of the first round. Now, if they traded out of pick 22, so they, this pick, pick 25, they're keeping. They sneakily have a decent amount of needs popping up um, for a team that was a playoff team and has been really, really solid the last couple of years. Uh, did not bring Everson Griffin back, kind of got themselves in a salary cap crunch and had to get rid of some some really good uh, young players there. Uh, but they get the ability to uh, patch that spot here with a up-and-comer from Penn State defensive end, Yeter Gross Matos, a uh, guy that I have been really, really high on. Charlie, what can you tell us about Yeter? Yeah, this is a guy who early on in our evaluation process, Tony, you said, hey, listen, you got to check out YGM's tape. And uh, I did, and it was the Ohio State tape, and um, ended up watching like three more games because I was so blown away by the guy's raw tools. I think when you look at a guy like Danielle Hunter, um, just a high-stealing, raw college prospect, um, YGM has a lot of similar traits, and uh, Mike Zimmer's going to love bringing him into the Everson Griffin role. Yeah, this guy is the one I still can't figure out why he's not uh, rated higher by some of the draft analysts out there. It, it wouldn't shock me if the NFL really likes his tools more than the analysts do, and he ends up going higher than this. But um, just with some of the other needs here, it's just kind of hard to, to sneak in a, an edge rusher in some, uh, some of these instances. But uh, a lot of the feedback you get from some of the analysts is that he's really raw, that um, – doesn't play with his hands real well. I don't see any of that on his tape, at least some, the, the games that I've watched, which were some of the bigger games he played in the Ohio States, the Michigans, you know, he's, he's out there dominating. So I don't, I'm not sure what more they want from him. Maybe they're just nitpicking his game a little bit, but as we've mentioned previously, there's, there's a lot of components of Alden Smith to his game. Uh, and I, he's, been well coached at Penn State. If he goes to Minnesota, he's going to be well coached there, and he's going to have a really good opportunity to, to blossom across from Hunter there. So I love this pick for the Vikings. And then moving on to pick 26, uh, another piece of that Lions uh, Dolphins trade. The Lions get this pick at 26 now, which was formerly going to Miami. And now they get to exercise that need for cornerback. And a really good one drops to him. Christian Fulton, corner from LSU. Charlie, what can you tell us about Fulton? Yeah, they've got to be rushing to the podium for this pick. Uh, Christian Fulton, you know, 6'1 plus with a 4440. Um, excellent college tape. And just really stands off, um, stands out in a big way against high level SEC receivers, whether that's Alabama, Florida. Um, the guy um, is just an excellent, um, excellent player from a high caliber program who really fits a role. And now Detroit comes away with a with a big uh, disruptor um, in the in their defensive front and in a cornerback one in Fulton. Yeah, if Detroit could end up getting you know, Derek Brown at five, who they probably would have taken at three, and then end up getting Christian Fulton as well in the first round, that's a home run for them. And it just comes down to. You know, Patricia being able to maximize those guys with his scheme, which he probably won't do, knowing Matt Patricia. But this is—it's not going to be down to personnel on this one. You know, this got some really good players in place. Uh, Fulton will immediately step in as the number one corner there in Detroit to replace Darius Slay, and uh, he's going to face some really good receivers off the bat: Devonte Adams, Adam Thielen. He's going to have to bring his A game week in, week out. So at pick 27, the Seattle Seahawks are on the clock, and we have a trade here. 
the Seahawks, uh, this is what they do in the first round. They have traded back in the first round six times in the last five years. So this is something they, they pretty consistently look to do. When they do get stuck in the first round, they tend to not make the best picks. So uh, they seem to just want to try to avoid them and get more picks uh, later on where they seem to be a little more consistent. In this instance, the Cincinnati Bengals end up coming up to take their left tackle of the future. Uh, somehow, Josh Jones of Houston ends up dropping to them here, and they would be ecstatic if this happened. Yeah, Josh Jones is a great pick here for the Bengals. Um, for them to come away with a quarterback one and a, and a major left tackle, potentially like Josh Jones, is, is absolutely just huge. I mean, they would be ecstatic. Um, I'd be surprised if they actually – we're witty enough to pull off this move, um, but it would be awesome for the organization if they were. Um, you know, Jones is, has a has a boatload of potential at tackle. Um, these fill two major needs and, and uh, have the potential to revolutionize the whole organization with now Jonah Williams, Josh Jones protecting uh, quarterback one and Joe Burrow. Yeah, the Bengals really have to break from their tradition of not moving around the boards for this one. But I think the player dropping to them would be worth it because I have uh, I have Josh Jones as a top 20 player on my board. And I, I think his skill set with his movement skills and athleticism and the tackle and what he showed at the senior bowl during the practice week and during the game there uh, is probably going to move him up a lot of boards. So if he ends up dropping this low, I think you're going to have the Bengals and you're going to have a lot of different teams uh, looking to get up back into the end of the first round to hopefully get him because that's that's great value at pick 27. Staying in the same division now, the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens find themselves on the clock at 28. Another team that could potentially be looking to move back, but I think with uh, the player that dropped to them here and the amount of speed and tenacity that he would bring to their defense, I think they'd have a hard time reconciling that thought in their in their heads so they end up taking Patrick Queen linebacker from LSU both you and I are both really high on Queen what can you tell us about him yeah I think they have to be ecstatic about the value here um, they have kind of been searching for someone to play that role ever since they lost CJ Mosley to the Jets um, and Queen fits the bill um, just a guy who was not the most hyped um, linebacker in the LSU um, program but really in the second half of the season came on and just, you know, when you watch his tape was just dominant um, from an IQ and an anticipation, anticipation standpoint, um, as well as just his ability to make tackles all over the field. Obviously a four or five runner, um, the ability to go sideline to sideline and the Ravens fill a huge need here. Um, a defensive leader who takes an already very good unit over the top. Yeah, this just feels like a Ravens pick here. The the dominant linebacker from a big time program uh, queen will get hurt a little bit because he's a little bit raw. He doesn't have a lot of starts to his name. Uh, didn't, didn't really start for LSU until later in the season, but with his speed and his tackling ability uh, abilities to, to hold up in coverage, uh, he's, he's a little bit undersized. He's 229 for the combine probably played a little bit under that during the season but he doesn't lack any pop, even with that, that minimal size. You see him in, in reps at the goal line. Um, he's coming up and popping people at the line of scrimmage and not getting bowled into the end zone. So 
I think this is a good pick for them. He's going to a great culture, a great program in Baltimore that churns out great linebackers left and right. Uh, they haven't had one with the talent of Queens and C.J. Mosley. Uh, I think this is a great piece of clay for them to mold there, uh, especially in a division where uh, the Browns want to run the ball, the Steelers want to run the ball, and the Bengals are going to be running the ball with Joe Mixon. You need a good physical linebacker to come up and, and make some plays for you. And moving to pick 29, the Tennessee Titans on the board. They lose Jack Conklin in free agency to the Browns, uh, who is their right tackle. You know that they want to run the ball a lot there. Uh, I think they are going to end up going with an offensive lineman here, and it's going to be Ezra Cleveland, uh, offensive tackle from Boise State, a guy that I have been really high on, a guy that has been linked to the Cleveland Browns quite a bit uh, as, as it goes. Uh, Charlie, what can you tell us about Ezra? Yeah, Ezra is just a high riser. Um, but when you watch his tape, it's 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 unfortunate to know that um, it took everyone this long to kind of get on the train. You know, he's he's a big guy, tested pretty well at the combine, but he obviously has a high football IQ um, and the ability to run and pass block at a high level. I think he could step in. I think he profiles as a right tackle at the NFL level, which is perfect here because it's exactly what the Titans need, filling in that Conklin role. Um, resuming their ability to kind of dominantly run and control the time of uh, time of possession game um, there in Vrabel's offense. So I think Ezra Cleveland pr- presents a perfect opportunity for them to fill in um, uh, probably their biggest need in the draft. Yeah, I could honestly see Cleveland going higher than this, but this is just how the how the board falls in this instance with with his athleticism and his uh, you know his his size his speed. Uh, he's going to be a guy that you're going to be able to put in there and tackle immediately and play right away. But as he continues to develop strength and core strength in particular, he could be a really good lineman for you. He's he's a guy right now who, though he put up really good reps on the bench press 33, he doesn't really play with that strength yet. He kind of needs to develop that punch. Uh, but his, his footwork and his movement skills are top-notch. In a, in a league that is going more and more towards these zone and outside stretch type plays, uh, he's a guy that is definitely going to be looked at as not to have an offensive tackle and a guy that um, can really move some bodies for you there. And I think it's a good pick for the Titans to replace Conklin with him there. Pick number thirty, the Green Bay Packers on the on the clock here. They've been aggressive in the past couple years and have been moving up. Uh, I think they stay put this time. Uh, just can't, can't be moving up every single year and continue to get rid of later picks. Uh, a good receiver falls to them here. We have Denzel Mims, wide receiver from Baylor. A guy that neither of us are particularly high on, but there's a lot of buzz about him out there in the community. There's a ton of buzz. I think, I think everyone knows um, who the big four receivers are. Um, and once Jefferson's off the board, um, the teams from the Eagles back, Um, are acknowledging, hey, you know, we legitimately might not have a shot at one of those big four guys. Who do we want? And and when you look at Mims, um, you and I aren't too high on him because the the tape doesn't really jump off the screen. Um, He's not too physical at the line of scrimmage. I could see him having some issues just with physical corners, um, jabbing him and and stopping him at the line of scrimmage. But um, his testing is out of this world. Um, he did put up a ridiculous 28 touchdowns in the last three years. I know it was in the Big 12, but he still had to do it. Um, and at six foot three, um, two two fifteen, right around there, he ran a four three nine. 
um, with like a 39 inch vertical. And, uh, you know, the guy definitely tests out of the books and in green Bay, um, you know, I think that's what they're looking for. I mean, Adams is a tactician. Um, he's, he's more of a mid four or five guy. He's not going to blow you away with speed and they need someone who can really take the top off of the defense. Um, you know, really strongly considered we both did Jalen Rager here or like a KJ Hamler. Um, but they can find that slot role, which I think they will double dip at receiver at some point. They can find that guy in round four or five in this draft. It's so deep. Um, you talk about a guy like a Devin Duvernay, who's also a track runner, um, who fits more into that slot role or a guy like, uh, Lynn Bowden from Kentucky, who's literally a clone of Randall Cobb, um, college quarterback, um, who's also an excellent receiver and a 4-4 runner. So I think what they need here is someone to spell Adams. Um, and I think Mims, the, the, the insider view on Mims is high enough that will push him into the first round. Personally, I don't think you or I would, would take him. You know, he's, he's a borderline top 50 guy just because of his tape. But um, I think the insider view gets him into the back end of the first year. Yeah, his athleticism just jumps off the charts at you, with, especially with that size and that speed. It's easy to see why teams are going to fall in love with him. Uh, just watching his game, though, I think there's a lot of refinement that really needs to happen in this game. And he doesn't really come from a program that churns out great NFL receivers in Baylor. There's a lot of guys that uh, tear it up in college, and when they get to the NFL level, they don't know how to run routes. They don't know how to... Um, know be able to adjust their routes at the nfl level they're not really used to facing a lot of press coverage it's you know they're very very raw and i think i think the conference they play in hurts them a little bit in that instance but with the packers they have not invested a first round pick on on the offensive side in the last five years um this is going to be a year i think where rogers is probably going to be pounding the table you know get me some playmakers on the outside i can't throw to Devontae adams every single snap um, they badly, badly need somebody that can stretch the field for them. And Mims can definitely do that. We nitpick at other portions of his game. And I think those concerns are valid, but he definitely has some speed to burn. And if you have him opening things up for Adams, and if you go get a, a slot receiver later on in the draft, you could completely add another dimension to that offense. And uh, judging by the playoffs last year and trying to keep up with the Niners, it's one that they desperately need. For sure. It's it's hard for them to pass up on, on an Austin Jackson type of player here or some of the tackles left on the board because that's a hole. But I think I think Rodgers pounding the table is, is the difference maker in uh, loading up on the weapon side. They need to be able to keep up with the Chiefs and the, and the 49ers to to make a run, you know, now that he enters his late 30s. Completely agree. And we are down to our last two picks, our Super Bowl competitors. Uh, with pick 31, the San Francisco 49ers, uh, I, we cannot see them making both of these first-round picks. Uh, they, don't, they don't have any picks between rounds two and four, so they are going to be looking to move back here. And in this instance, they end up dealing this pick to the Los Angeles Chargers. Come back up. They just lost Melvin Gordon. Uh, Austin Eckler they obviously still have, and he's a great change of pace for them, but not the type of bell cow running back that they want to be running the ball with 15 to 20 times a game. Uh, so in this instance, they replaced one Badger running back with another Badger running back. Jonathan Taylor running back from Wisconsin. Uh, Charlie, what can you tell us about him? Yeah, I think this pick makes perfect sense. When you you hit the nail on the head, Eckler is not a three-down back. And, uh, 
you know, we both had mocked that running back around, I think it was pick 37 was their initial second rounder that there, it was the, the main package headliner that they sent to, to move up and get this pick. Um, their offense really takes a new step with, with a bell cow back and two attack of Iloa here. Um, but, you know, Taylor, you and I, you know, similar to Mims, we excellent athlete, incredible tester, you know, another four, three guy, um, great college numbers, obviously blew it out of the water at Wisconsin. However, you and I aren't the biggest Taylor fans. Um, you know, he's, he's a North South guy. His pass catching doesn't wow us. Um, but I do think in this instance, in Lynn's scheme, he would find a way to succeed similar to Melvin Gordon. Um, you know, he, he's, he's got home run speed, but it doesn't really show up on tape. Um, his field vision is, is still to be determined. I, when you talk about the, the blocking scheme at Wisconsin, um, it just seems like they could put anyone back there and they'd be, you know, a, a minimum, you know, 1500 yard rusher a year. And, um, you know, don't want to don't want to take anything away from from what was an incredible college career. It just seems that the insider view on Taylor is, is, is much higher. And I think, um, you know, it it's going to be tough for him to live up to those expectations. Yeah, I completely agree. I've been pretty vocal about not being real, real high on Jonathan Taylor, uh, but I've, I've just kind of resolved myself to the fact he's probably going into the first round. Uh, I've this past week, I've heard the third person in the past month uh, compare him to Saquon Barkley. <laughs> so apparently, those thoughts are out there, even though uh, probably both of us would say those are ridiculous. Uh, I, I don't like Taylor's. Um, initial acceleration. I think he tends to stop his feet before he gets to the line uh, way too consistently and it doesn't get himself going. I'm just not sure. You know, my, my comp for him throughout the entire process has been Ben Tate and I'm sticking with it from an athletic standpoint, uh, from uh, just the way he plays the game, the way he runs the ball, it all looks like Ben Tate to me, but I think this is a good place for him to go if you're going to maximize his talent and maybe he could prove me wrong on this one, uh, go into a system that there where they have other really good weapons and they have an, a coach and a scheme that really, uh, wants to run the ball and gets creative with the way they run the ball. So good place for Taylor to go. For sure. And it's, it's important for people to know that, Hey, Ben Tate, it, it, it isn't a knock. It sounds like a knock, but it's not. I mean, Ben Tate ran a four, four flat and had a 40, 40 some inch vertical, coming out of Auburn and, and, you know, was a pretty productive NFL back. Um, it's just, you know, a guy like Saquon Barkley, that's, that's just on another level. Um, that guy's game speed. There's no, there's no hesitation in his game when he's, when he's accelerating or bursting through a hole at the line of scrimmage. Um, it's just a whole different animal, but completely agreed. Yep. A little far fetched. So we had our first running back coming off the board with the last pick here. Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs will take the next running back off the board. That's DeAndre Swift from Georgia. Uh, he's top running back on both of our our uh, draft rankings. Uh, what can you tell us about DeAndre Swift? DeAndre Swift, just, a, just an explosive player. Um, truly a home run threat. You know, mid 4-4 guy um, with great uh, balance, great pad level, um, great receiving ability. Um, truly a three down back. Um, and in the modern NFL, especially when you look at the chiefs, um, he would just be a true weapon. I think the chiefs do have some needs along the interior offensive line. They, they could use a linebacker. They could use a corner. They have a chance here with Swift to take what, the, what is their biggest strength, just that potent offense and take it to a whole nother level. Um, nothing against Damian Williams. 
Um, but to have a home, a true home run threat like Swift, I mean, we saw what Damian Williams did in that offense, a guy like Swift, you know, you would think he could almost double that. I mean, the guy, you know, he's got great field vision. What he did to SEC defenses, I know he had a great scheme and great blocking, but it was impressive. He could find the hole and he could make the linebackers and safeties miss and get to the next level pretty darn consistently. So I'm excited to see him. And I think, you know, when you talk dynasty leagues, when you talk fantasy football, um, he's the one I'll be looking for um, as a rookie running back. Yeah, especially if he ends up going to the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, obviously, looking for dynasty running backs, you're going to be looking at whoever the Chiefs end up taking in this draft. But if it's somebody with the talent of DeAndre Swift, then he might be in first overall pick territory for for dynasty leagues out there. Because uh, I think he's a guy that can really maximize that offense and take it to another level with his pass-catching ability and his ex- that explosive gear that he has to his game. You know, something that's been missing the last couple of years since uh, Kareem Hunt got, got released by them. And uh, you got to think they're going to be looking to, to re-implement that part to their game at some point here. They could also look on the defensive side, but, you know, the defense really made some big improvements on the stretch last year, and I think they're expecting a lot of that to continue. So the talent with Swift dropping to the end of the first round here is just too much to pass up, and they get their guy. Crap, the first ever Frosty Podcast mock draft is in the books. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Truly had a blast doing this with you, Tony. We 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 cut up a lot of tape, um, had some awesome conversations on player evaluation, and uh, we're fired up, man. Can't wait for this draft, and can't wait to release some more good stuff this week for the listeners. You know, big board, final mock, and uh, I'll be releasing that wide receiver blueprint as well. Absolutely, and if if, if you guys get to check out that blueprint, it is really impressive. <laughs> Very similar to some documents that you will see from actual NFL scouts putting these boards together. So very in-depth, uh, color-coded, has high-level comps, low-level comps. Charlie's done a lot of good work on it. So make sure you check out his work there. And make sure you keep your eyes peeled to the, the Frosty Pot Twitter uh, this week because we're going to have some more content coming out for you as this gets closer. And uh, uh, likely you could see some individual mocks from us the night before the draft too with the the up-to-the-minute stuff that we're hearing from some of uh, our more trusted insiders out there. You know, we're, we're still sourcing through all the information, trying to figure out what we think is true and what isn't. And we're going to be doing that up until the actual day. So we're in draft week. So get excited. Uh, happy drafting to everybody. And uh, we'll catch you next time.